You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. This is the Tulane and East Carolina preview. It's another game week for ECU football as we try to move on from the Tulsa game. I'm Stephen Igo, your host of uh, the Hoist the Colors podcast, also the publisher of HoistTheColors.net. Our guest this week, he was our first ever guest on the Hoist the Colors podcast. He's a former contributor to HoistTheColors.net, former longtime intern. He is Sam Anderson. Sam Welcome back into the program. Yeah, thanks for bringing me back. Yes, yeah, Sam. Uh, we we've worked on the uh, technical side of things since we first had you on. So, um, which it you know it sounded fine when you were first on, but we were just working out the kinks. Now we we kind of have a solid setup, so I feel like we're we're moving forward. We're growing up in the podcast world, so it's good to have you back on, man. And um, you know, a lot to talk about as we preview this game. Of course, a lot to get into with ECU and Tulane specifically. But before we go there, I want to get your thoughts. You know, we haven't talked to you since uh, before the season, obviously. I kind of wanted to look back at some of our uh, preseason <laughs> projections and preseason over-unders, but we'll wait until the end of the season to do that. Uh, it's safe to say Chase Hayden will not be hitting many of the overs that we picked, whereas Rajay Harris will. But um, yeah. just your, your overall thoughts, Sam, as, as an alum, as somebody who covered this team previously – you know, you've seen a lot of losing football, but uh, and you look on paper, ECU is one and four overall, one and three in the conference. But I think anybody that watches these games knows where this program is heading. So, I just want to get your take on what you've seen through the first five games for East Carolina. Yeah, I knew there was going to be a possibility heading into this year, you know, pre-COVID, that this team could have fewer wins than last year and be a more improved team. But and you're kind of seeing that. You know, now they haven't still have not learned how to win the, you know, the close games. You know, you could have had chances to beat Navy, which would have been, you know, a big boost. And then obviously Tulsa, uh, but we won't need to relive that. But uh, then, you know, if you can close it against Navy, if you have Holton for Navy and then uh, the refs actually do their job in Tulsa, you're looking at a three, three game winning streak heading into the Tulane game this weekend, which is going to be a big game just for, you know, emotional reasons. Cause if you lose that one, it's pretty much, I feel like it could be downhill from there. Cause you got a short week against heading have to head to Cincinnati and then you got at, you get play at temple and then SMU. So those are going to be some tough games. So win this weekend would be big in my opinion. Yeah, this is a crucial game for East Carolina football, and and I think it is a swing game for the last three games of the season. And we'll get into that in a minute, Sam. Um, you know, as a as journalists, especially for me, you're you're the fan now. You know, you're with the Pirate Club. Yeah, you, you can be reactionary as you were watching the Tulsa game. Uh, have you ever seen anything like that? And what was your feeling as a as a fan now? And obviously. As a journalist, for me, like I try to keep my composure. You know, I went to ECU. 
I'm an alum of the school. Like I, I for my site, I want ECU to do well. And so like I, even without that, I thought they got screwed and should have won the game. But as somebody who obviously has a rooting interest in ECU, have you ever seen anything like what we saw last Friday? I have not. I knew ECU because on a you know to switch sports on a basketball side, we you know typically don't get a lot of the foul calls, you know, especially on Jaden. So I'm you know accustomed to seeing uh, kind of one-sided officiating. But yeah, that that last few series was just pretty ugly in terms of. It was just blatant, you know, just missing calls left and right. But, hey, when the conference needs to have a backup plan from Cincinnati, I guess they have to pick on the Pirates, unfortunately. Yeah. Hey, I mean, I'm usually not one for full-blown conspiracy theories, but when you see three critical calls like that go against a team or for a team in that short of a span, it does make you wonder, and – it's hard to believe that there could be that incompetent of a ref or replay official out there, but maybe there is. And uh, oh well, that's. I just wanted to get your take on it. I'm moving on from it for now. As somebody asked me the other day, like I'll continue to reference that game all year because you have to as a writer. Oh yeah, it's yeah. part. It's part of the season. Um, so that's what makes it makes it so frustrating. But uh, yeah, this two lane game. I mean, I, I think going into the year, I thought it was going to be a critical game. It sits in the middle of the schedule. You know, going into the back stretch, a winnable game. Uh, that's not to take anything away from Tulane. Tulane is one of the better coach teams in this conference. Willie Fritz is a tremendous coach. They'll be very well prepared. But I think at home, you know, you're you're playing a younger quarterback. Uh, you're playing with a a more experienced quarterback on ECU side. These are the games I think you have to start winning. You know, when you look at this program and where it wants to go, you you got a crucial win over South Florida which at the time, you know, looked like a, a big-time win. I still think it is a big win, but obviously South Florida is not very good. Tulane is definitely a step or two steps above South Florida. They are a proven winner. They got their coach back. They're kind of an established program now, as, as scary as that is to say, uh, as an ECU person who's seen ECU beat up on Tulane a lot. Whereas this is a game where ECU, if they can win it, can start to put some teams in the American behind them. Um, like a Tulane, like a South Florida, like a Temple later this year as they start to rebuild this thing. So I think it's a, a critical game, uh, Sam. What, what do you feel? Uh, do you feel like this is a swing game maybe for the, the last part of the season and really how things may may go one way or the other? Yeah, I, th- I think it is just because coming off a you know, devastating loss against Tulsa where you basically were told, yeah, you had the game won, but due to a human error, you lost it. So – I mean, if you lose to Tulane, you're riding a three-game losing streak, and depending on how the outcome of the Tulane game goes, it could be three really close, you know, losses, which would be devastating, you know, to any program, especially one that's, you know, rebuilding. Like you just keep thinking. I mean, hopefully this is not the case, but if you lose a close one to Tulane, you're thinking, well, we're doing everything right. Why aren't we winning? So that can kind of, you know, put some doubt into people's minds, like. Oh, maybe what we're doing is not, you know, working or is not successful. But I think you, if you can get out to an early lead and hold it, and you basically just have to make sure the refs are not going to be a, a factor late in the game. If you just to avoid that mess, especially in a shortened season with COVID, the it's going to be more, you know, prevalent to be to get the, you know, human error out of the equation in terms of, 
you know, a win or a loss. That's the thing. I mean, ECU should not have gotten screwed last week, but there are also multiple plays where they could have done things earlier in the game to be up multiple scores going down the stretch where when a bad call doesn't go or when multiple egregious calls don't go your way, it's not a it doesn't decide the game. But I still think ECU did enough to deserve the win. But hey, you, you try to play good enough sometimes to take that uh chance away from human error, like you said, to really impact the game. We see that in all sports. So yeah, I mean, this is a game where I, I don't want to say I worry about the psyche of the team. Uh, knowing Mike Houston, I'm sure that he's done everything possible to get the guys back into a good space mentally and prepared. But, you know, you can say all the right things and do all that and then go out there Saturday and not get off to a good start. And then that's when I think it can manifest. So I, I do – it sounds like they've practiced really well just talking with the coaches, talking with Coach Houston, Kurt Patrick, and, and Blake Carroll, the defensive coordinator, that they've practiced really well this week. Seems like they moved on. I don't think we'll know for sure until the, the game on Saturday gets going. You know, this is a game where you would really like to have your home crowd uh, at full capacity or, you know, what's allowed because they can kind of really help rally a team after a game like that. And I really think coming off a of Tulsa game is something that where the crowd could really kind of unite as one. You get screwed like that, the crowd comes together, the team comes together. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see that, so the team will have to kind of come together on its own with just 3,500 people in the stands. But – I think the start of this game is critical. You know, Tulane uh, has started fast in a number of games with their offense. They could put up some points in a hurry. So uh, ECU needs to get off to a successful start. And and really, obviously they did that at Tulsa. And um, I think they can do that again against Tulane. Just uh, how crucial do you think the start will be to this game, Sam? And uh, do you worry about the team's psyche coming off that game? I think it would be critical to just start fast, like basically – Act like you're playing Central Florida. You got to, you know, score on pretty much every possession or get points on the board because Tulane can, you know, definitely, you know, score. I think they put up 66 against, you know, Southern Miss. You know, so that's obviously shows they can actually, you know, score. Southern Miss is not very good, but still, uh, you put 38 up against Temple, which is known for their, you know, defense. So I think it's going to be critical to get stops early and, score on you know the possession following a stop and I think if you can get pressure to their quarterback I mean he's only completing 49 percent of his passes so not great but sacked 17 times so far so get pressure it should help you yeah so you brought up something interesting there with the quarterback Michael Pratt the two-lane uh young signal caller and I wanted to uh, I pulled up some stats from pro football focus on uh Michael Pratt and kind of what he's done the first few games, the two-lane quarterback. I, you know, having watched a couple two-lane games now, been very impressed with this kid. You know, he doesn't look like a – he doesn't look like a freshman to me, and I watched him a, a couple of times, and he looks like a guy that looks pretty comfortable and poised, like he doesn't make many mistakes. Now, he isn't the most accurate guy in the world, like you said, completing less than 50% of his passes, but they take a lot of deep shots. They throw the ball downfield. But the most interesting thing I saw – when I was looking at Michael Pratt, is his numbers win blitz versus not blitz. And this is, again, according to Pro Football Focus, which more times than not is pretty accurate with their numbers. But they have Michael Pratt on 119 dropbacks. He has not been blitzed versus 33 dropbacks. He has been blitzed. So on 152 dropbacks, he's only been blitzed 33 times. And that is a small percentage 
And I don't know if there's something that goes into how to attack Tulane's offense where you don't want to blitz him a lot or they just haven't faced a team that blitzes a lot. But I'd be – I think there's a good chance uh, Michael Pratt faces 33 blitzes alone versus ECU based off what we've seen. <laughs> yeah. So, to me, you know, in his numbers, uh, win blitz have been pretty good. You know, he's got – he grades out at 73.5. He's actually got four touchdowns to no picks, win blitz. But, again, that's only on 33 dropbacks. So, how, how does Blake Carroll – dial up the pressure, mix up coverages. That's something I'm going to be watching a lot early in the game because it really affected Tulsa quarterback Zach Smith. I'm sure Tulane will have a plan for it, but uh, you have to challenge a true freshman quarterback, don't you? You you have to, and again, it goes back to, you know, if you can get a turnover and get a stop on defense, you got to score points because you get the interception against, um, you know, Georgia State to open the game, you know, pick six, and then you wind up getting destroyed. And then same thing with, you know, Tulsa, you get an interception, but yet you still, you know, lose the game. So it's how you can capitalize on those turnovers will be key, especially, you know, freshman quarterbacks are, uh, you know, not the not the best or game ready yet, but Pratt seems to be, you know, able to hold his own. But yeah. it'll be definitely interesting how many times they you know, can get pressure to him. Yeah, I, I just – I was shocked to see that. Only 33 blitz at- – blitz attempts in 150 plus dropbacks so at least if I'm Blake Carroll I go after him and see you know if he hits you for a few big plays early in the game you know so be it then you adjust but I think you got to go after him and, and and just see how he reacts yeah I would the first drive I would just blitz three straight downs yeah because I mean told I mean Tulane runs the ball you know 316 carries for close to 1500 yards I mean that's show that they're going to, you know, run the ball more than they are going to. I think they have, like, what, 176 total pass attempts. So, I mean, they're definitely going to run the ball more than, you know, they will throw. But I would just blitz three straight. Three straight on the first drive just to see what happens. That is the voice of Sam Anderson. I am Stephen Igo. We're going to take a quick break, hear some words from our sponsors, then we'll be right back to answer your questions as we dive further into Tulane, East Carolina. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back on the Hoist of Colors podcast. Sam Anderson is with me. We're breaking down ECU and Tulane. And Sam, you know, we were talking about kind of Tulane's offensive approach there uh, before the break. And we got a number of questions just kind of about Tulane and what they bring to the table this weekend. Our first question on the Hoist of Colors message board is from ECU 
Itna 04. Uh, he, they want to know, is Tulane really that good? Tibble's quarterback didn't play, so was there success in that game mostly based on that? He is re- referencing the 38-3 beatdown that Tulane uh, handed Temple, which I was surprised at the score, but then upon doing more research, Sam, they were they were not only missing Anthony Russo, their quarterback, but I want to say around 15 more guys didn't play, I think due to COVID protocols, and they had some more guys out due to injury. So this was a shell of the Temple team that we're used to seeing, and Temple's not the greatest team this year. They actually have taken a step back. But, you know, is Tulane 38-3 to good over your average Temple team? Probably not. They obviously played one of their better games this past Saturday. I do think they're very capable, especially on the offensive side. You mentioned their rushing numbers, Sam. I mean, they're averaging more than 225 yards, uh, around 225 yards a game on the ground. They've got three or four running backs who are really good. Their quarterback is dangerous, so... I worry about their offense. I think they're going to put up points. Um, their defense can be had, and we'll get kind of into more of that in a bit. But uh, just just how good do you think Tulane is? I know you haven't seen a ton of them this year, Sam, but what's your impression upon this uh, of this Green Wave team? It seems like they're just an up-and-down team. I mean, you know, you have a – they, you know, open the season, you know, a three-point victory against South Alabama – then lose to Navy by three, then destroy Southern Miss, then get beaten pretty easily by Houston, then lose to SMU in overtime, and then get, you know, beat by Central Florida and then beat Temple. So it's kind of seems like they're, you know, up and down, still trying to find their, you know, identity. So like ECU is in terms of, you know, picking up some, you know, consistent wins. But if you can stop the run, I think you have a pretty good shot. I mean, I think Temple only ran the ball had 77 rushing yards. I mean, obviously, ECU's probably going to get at least 100, but it was pretty shocking to see that Temple only got 77, you know, rushing yards against Tulane, where Temple's a pretty tough football team, you know, historically. So, Yeah, I think a lot of that, I'm sure Tulane just took away the run and said, you're going to have to beat us with the pass with the first-time starting quarterback. And they, they won't be able to do that against ECU. Um, and – you know, there's a question about t- Tulane's defense coming up. I'll have some numbers there as well. But you look at their scores. I mean, 27 points on South Alabama. They were leading Navy 24 to zero before blowing that game. 66 on Southern Miss. 31 on Houston. 34 on SMU. 34 on UCF. 38 on Temple. So they're more than likely going to score in the high 20s, 30s at least. And so this is a game where ECU's offense is going to have to show up. Um, we'll touch on that in a minute. Captain Hook wants to know who will be the replay official. Uh, I don't Yeah, we don't know. We don't get that info. We do get the info of the referees on game day, but we won't have that info. I guarantee you it will not be the same replay official from last week. That's all I got. Don't they regionalize all the referees this year? So. Yeah, I don't know how that works, honestly. See them. uh, Hopefully we never see those officials again. I would venture to say that uh, the American will not send those officials to ECU for at least the next year, probably, or at least the rest of the season, maybe even next season, just because there's going to be some animosity there. And that's the thing is, you know, the re- the re- the refs get a lot of the blame, but really the replay official to me is the biggest culprit in all this. Whoever that is, we never got his name, her name, they should be fired. But uh, Yeah, definitely. They still lose their job. Yeah, I digress. We'll, we'll move on. 
Uh, Berg Pirate wants to know, how does Tulane's defense compare to UCF's and Tulsa? Will we cause well, – he's got a couple here. We'll start with that. You know Berg Pirate always has more than one question. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Tulane's defense, how does it compare to UCF's and Tulsa? It's, it's definitely not in the same realm, especially not for Tulsa. Um, the one thing that does concern me about Tulane's defense is their defensive ends. They have got some big-time edge rushers. Uh, Patrick Johnson, no, not the one from 94-3 the game, but a different one. Uh, and Cameron Sample, their two defensive ends have combined for 10 sacks in seven games, and they have over 24 pressures apiece from pro football focus. So these are guys that can wreck games if you can't block them on the edge, and we know ECU's had trouble with that at least at times this year, but as long as the offensive line keeps playing like it has recently, if you can protect Holton Aylers, this is a game he can put up some big numbers because they're giving up close to 300 yards passing per game. They have been pretty solid against the run, but their secondary can be had. Their pass defense can be had. You just got to hold up against those edge rushers. Yeah, I, I mean, they don't force a ton of turnovers, which, you know, is a good thing, Holt. Um, but, you know, you still got to protect the ball and you can't have fumbles if you're ECU like you did, you know, against Tulsa because those are drive killers. So uh, ball security will be big and, you know, not – Forcing throws if a window is not there will be also key. Yeah, it'll be it would be refreshing. It would be refreshing to see ECU play a clean game as far as turnovers. I think they've turned it over every game this year. Off the top of my head, I mean, I know they did at Georgia State. I know they did at USF at least once. I think they turned it over at USF, but um, I know they had the past couple games. Obviously, maybe they didn't at USF, but. Either way, it, it seems like it's been a while since we've seen a clean game. Um, yeah, it looks like that ECU uh, – I don't think they turned the ball over. At least I'm not seeing it initially here. I know um, Harris had one more fumble somewhere this season. Uh, he fumbled against Navy, and he fumbled against – no, I think Holton had a fumble. It looks like, but I'm not sure. Okay. South, if South Florida recovered that, but uh, but yeah, yeah, we'll look more into it. Uh, Berg also wants to know: Will we cause problems by blitzing their freshman quarterback? You know, we kind of mi- mentioned that earlier. Um, really, based on the numbers, you don't really know. He again, he has been good against the blitz, but that's only on 33 snaps. So out of 150 dropbacks. So, I mean, that's, you know, pretty pretty low percentage around less than 20% of the time, I think, based on the numbers. So I would expect ECU to blitz him more, and we'll see how he responds. We just don't have a big enough sample size there. Uh, he also wants to know, if we don't turn the ball over, do you see a scenario where we win by 21-plus points? Sam, I'll let you handle this one. I wouldn't say 21-plus, <laughs> but I think if you don't turn the ball over, you know, typically that – you know, wins you a ball game, but as you see, if anything is possible with American conference officials, so I would say that if they don't turn the ball over, you're probably looking at a, you know, 10 to 14 point win. Yeah, Tulane, I mean, they, they don't get blown out a lot. They're, again, they're just so solid in all phases. They didn't play well against UCF, and they still only lost by 17. They only lost by 18 at Houston. 
Uh, they lost by three against Navy and SMU. So I just don't see this as a game where ECU is going to blow them out. Uh, maybe they play the game of their lives and, and win by four touchdowns, but I would be pretty shocked if if ECU wins this game by more than two scores. I mean, I think a 14-point win is probably the max you're looking at here just based on how Tulane, how good they are. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of – Yeah, it looks like – Go ahead. Yeah, it looks like Tulane only had – only turned the ball over once against Central Florida, but then they had they took then Houston had five turnovers to Tulane zero, and Tulane still lost. So yeah, uh, they're kind of hit or miss on you know being able to close out games in terms of winning or losing the turnover battle. So Northeast Pirate he has a comment which we'll read rather than a question. We kind of touched on this earlier, but he says really curious to see. If our team is prepared emotionally for this game, we can't let Tulsa beat us twice. I think he's right. You know, we touched on it as well. You know, you can't let that game linger. It sounds like Mike Houston and the staff have done everything they can to put it behind them. So we'll see there. But I, I think they're doing what they can to to move on. And we'll just see Saturday how quickly they, they can move on. Sharkbait17, uh, he's got a good question here. Will we need to score more than 35 or at least 35 points to win this game? Seems like nobody has been able to shut their offense down this year, scoring 30-plus every game. Uh, Sam, do you think ECU needs to score at least 35 to win this game? Yeah, it's looking like uh, the first team to reach you know, above 30 points in general should you know, be able to hopefully secure the win. But, yeah, definitely you can't – I don't think it's going to be a low-scoring affair. I think it's going to be compet- kind of like a shootout, but not you know, like a 50 to 40 40- nine type thing it's going to be you know high 30s maybe low 40s but should be a good high scoring game yeah they're they're you know the thing that's interesting about them is they are primarily a running team but they still put up a ton of points which means that they gash people on the ground and they give up a lot of points giving them more possessions so that's just kind of the style they play i would be surprised if this game is not in the 30s um you know i envision a a 30 maybe even a game in the 40s, depending on how it goes. You know, I think ECU could play well on defense on Saturday and still give up 30, 31 points, so similar to Tulsa. Yeah, their they're running backs seem to be, I think the longest run was from Carroll, 52 yards, and then another, their other running back, um, Hutterson, had, you know, 47, you know, his longest run, and then a 42-yard long run, so they can definitely, you know, get some long runs in there as well so yeah they'll, they'll definitely scheme you up increase you uh that's something they've they've done for years uh pirate backer says why do i get confused when watching tulane on tv i always feel like i'm watching a gh rose game i don't know how you feel about this sam but i love tulane's jerseys color schemes all of it their helmets they had some sick green wave helmets a couple weeks ago i don't know if you saw them but oh they are i like their you know their color scheme they're definitely probably have the nicest jerseys in the American conference. Yeah, some people don't like them, and I love them. I don't know. To me, you know, the, the all green I could I could care less, couldn't care uh, less about, but um, when they go with the, I guess, aqua blue or whatever it is, um, yeah, that teal color, that mm-hmm. is a, uh, that's a sharp look. So I hope they incorporate that somehow. I think they had a Mardi Gras uniform. I think last year they played ECU. That was pretty cool. Maybe that was their basketball uniform. 
something had Mardi Gras <laughs> theme wise in Jersey for them. Yeah, I mean they 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 do a good job of mixing it up, and they have a lot of alternates. I wish uh, I wish ECU could do that, but yeah, I, yeah, I thought that was part of the Adidas contract, but oh well. He shall he shall who not be named uh, lied to us about that. So it is what it is, man. Here we are. I still think ECU could upgrade significantly in the uniform department. I know they're getting new football jerseys next year, so hopefully we see that happen. But uh, that's a discussion for another day. A couple more questions here, and we'll get out of here as we preview ECU and Tulane. K-Gun asked, does C.J. Johnson have his breakout game this week, and does he catch the ball before he tries to run? Hmm. Yeah, C.J.'s been kind of a mystery to me in terms of just hasn't had that, you know, breakout performance like I think most people were expecting. But I think he'll, you know, find a stride at some point. But then again, there was hardly any off season to, you know, build more chemistry in the in the offense. So I'm gonna go with probably no breakout this week. You know, I was I was thinking about this question today. I read it earlier. And then I got on social media on the Hoist Colors Instagram account, and I saw that it was C.J. Johnson's birthday this week. And I'm going to go with the ultimate prediction that C.J. Johnson has eight catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns in his breakout game of the year, including a 50-plus yard touchdown at some point in this game. You look at his production, I think he only has... I think he might, might even have less than 10 catches. I don't know the exact number. Yeah, he has... Nine catches, 207 yards total, which is average about 23 yards, four touchdowns, averaging about 41 yards per game. Yeah, so four touchdowns on nine catches. Uh, that's a that's a pretty good ratio. Um, so, and this is the type of game where Tulane, you know, if you're Tulane, you're coming off, and you're looking at the film from the Tulsa game, you think. We've got to take away Tyler Sneed. And their their secondary is vulnerable. Again, if they can give Holton Aylers time, I think CJ can have a big game Saturday. And he's due, man. He's just due for one of those games. Yeah. Get him in some one on one coverage and you you know he should have had another touchdown against Tulsa, but that was overturned by that really stupid toe heel rule. But yeah, he's he'll hit his stride at some point, but I think it might take a, you know, probably won't be this week. If Tulane goes with that same game plan they did, I don't know who their defense coordinator is and if it's the same guys in 2018 when they all they did was stack the box and play press coverage leading to Holt Naylor throwing the ball 70 times. And nothing, remember it was nothing but go routes to Trayvon Brown? Mm-hmm. Uh, if they do that game plan again on Saturday, I think it'll be nothing but go routes to C.J. Johnson if they give him one-on-one coverage. So, uh, again, yeah, Ayler, yeah, that was a – wild game I think yeah threw the ball 67 times and Trayvon had eight catches 161 yards and two touchdowns yep and he only completed what 21 of those passes like it was yeah, just uh, 21 for 67 yeah I'm looking here okay yeah Jack Curtis he's in his fifth season as Tulane's defensive coordinator so yeah I mean maybe they maybe they take that same approach um maybe if, if they still like to get up in your place and, and play man coverage. I don't know if they still have the those caliber of cornerbacks. I don't think so, but 
if they try to test ECU in that phase on Saturday, then I think that's a good recipe for ECU. I don't think Tulane has the corners that UCF and uh, you know Tulsa have. So I think that yeah, could Tulsa play. has some physical big cornerbacks. Yeah, so hopefully ECU will have it. You know, some point in the future. But you know, those cornerbacks for Tulsa, they're not afraid to get in your face and you know be physical. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, so I think that could play in ECU's favor. So that's again. You know, these first few series of, of these games are so interesting because you can really gauge really how these teams have planned all week to try and attack the other. So, will ECU blitz a lot on defense? And then how will Tulane elect to play ECU? Do they try to take away Tyler Sneed? Do they try to take away C.J. Johnson? And, um, you know, do they try to take away Rajay Harris? Three straight 100-yard games. And so, you, you have to take away the run. You can't just take away the pass. So, a lot – ECU's offense, I think, is in a good spot right now um, going forward. And then lastly, uh, ECU Soterip. I always mess it up. ECU Pirates backwards. Give me some good news. He doesn't have a question. He just wants some good news. Sam, do you have any good news? Hey, it's almost the weekend. That's always good news. It is almost the weekend. We have uh, we've made it through hump day as we record this on Wednesday night. Um, basketball season is 20 days away. Baseball season is four months away, a little over four months away, maybe three months. I can't, I can't do math. Um, so I mean, come soon enough. Yeah, and ECU. I think you want some good news. Let's do our predictions, and I'm just going to say ECU is going to win on Saturday. How's that for some good news? Yeah, I think they'll they'll win as well. Close, but they'll win. You got a score prediction? Uh, no, I don't have a score on top of my head, but I think it's going to be, you know, pretty close. Um, probably between, you know, seven and ten points. We talked about a game in the 30s. I think this one, I think ECU reaches the 40s. I'm going to go ECU 41, Tulane Green Wave 35, and the Pirates yeah. win. I could, I could see that. Nailbiter uh, that goes down to the end, but the Pirates pull it out. And get a much-needed win and, and hopefully springboard uh, this thing the second half of the season. Well, uh, Sam, that'll do it for uh, the show, this week's podcast, our preview of ECU and Tulane. Thanks again for, for joining us, man. We'll get you back on again maybe after yeah. the season to, to review our our over-under picks that are looking so well. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. That's Sam Anderson. That'll do it for our show tonight. Again, 12 noon kickoff on Saturday inside Dowdy Pickland Stadium. ECU and Tulane, the game will be televised on ESPN+. Plus. We'll be with you after the game, probably that night, with it being a noon kickoff with our newest podcasts, our uh, post-game pod, as we recap, hopefully, an East Carolina win over the Green Wave. Uh, for Sam Anderson, I'm Stephen Igo. We'll talk to you next time.
Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 